Little Watson Center, an independent feminist nonprofit comprehensive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. Join us as we explore topics that impact our sexual and reproductive health and lives. Here's your host, Aspen Rulin. Aspen uses they, them pronouns and is our client and community advocate. Hello and welcome back to Reproductive Left. I'm your host, Aspen. I use they, them pronouns. And we're continuing fall's theme of pleasure with an episode about kink. What is kink? Does the media do a good job of representing it? Is it all leather and chains like that one Rihanna song? Come along with me to find out. First off, what in the world even is kink? The basic dictionary definition is a twist or bend in something otherwise straight, like when a garden hose gets a bend that doesn't let water through. It also might bring to mind sleeping at an odd angle and waking up with a kink in your neck. In the context of sex, kink generally refers to sexual practices or fantasies that are unconventional or atypical. This, of course, raises the question of what even is typical sex? Someone who believes that sex is only for heterosexual reproduction might see anything outside of that as being atypical, whether that's oral sex, anal sex, queer sex, or even using condoms. Now, that's not the way I'm defining kink today, but it's important to remember that these definitions can be fluid. Hell, you'll have a hard time getting everyone to agree on one concrete definition just of sex. We'll stick with the vague definition of unconventional. For a lot of people, their first thought when it comes to kink is something like Fifty Shades of Grey. Unfortunately, Fifty Shades is a great example of how popular media messes up healthy representation of a lot of things. For those who are unfamiliar, Fifty Shades of Grey is a book and movie series centered on the sexual relationship of a couple into BDSM, or bondage, domination or discipline, submission or sadism, and masochism. In this couple, the man is the dominant partner or dom, and the woman is not only the submissive partner or sub, but also starts out as a totally naive virgin. Another interesting tidbit is that Fifty Shades was originally fanfiction of Twilight. You know, Twilight with the vampires. This makes a lot of sense when you realize that both series enforce toxic gender roles, totally ignore consent, and romanticize abusive behavior. I want to stress that engaging in BDSM is not in and of itself abusive. Just like non-kinky relationships can be abusive, so can kinky relationships. This brings up one of the most repeated concepts when it comes to kink. Safe, sane, and consensual. I'll dive into that more in a bit, but first, I want to point out more of the issues with Fifty Shades. While there's not a huge age gap between the main characters, there is definitely an experience gap. This dude deliberately goes after someone who he knows is inexperienced and subsequently lacking both knowledge and skill to advocate for herself. He engages in unsafe practices, ignores safe words, 
a word that is supposed to bring play to either a full stop or a pause, depending. And to top it off, puts a GPS tracker on her car to stalk her, which is framed as being romantic. Again, given the source material it was based on, not surprising. Fifty Shades of Grey is a great example of what not to do. Safe, sane, and consensual. If you're in kink spaces, this is a phrase you will hear all the time. I will say that some folks have raised issue with the use of sane because of ableism in our society directed at mentally ill folks. But as a person with mental illness myself who finds it to be the most effective phrasing, I am going to use it here. What does this phrase mean? Safe. Is this safe for the health and well-being of all participants involved? Sane. Is everyone involved of sufficiently sound mind to consent? Consensual. Is everyone involved consenting and do they have the ability to withdraw consent? I'll give an example. Partner A is into being tied up and partner B is into doing the tying up and both are sober and capable of consenting to things. It's a radically different situation for partner B to tie up partner A, have scissors on hand to remove the rope quickly if needed, and stay in the room with partner A while they're bound, than for partner B to tie up partner A and leave them unattended to go run errands. In the first scenario, safety and consent are centered and partner A has the ability to communicate if they need to get out of those ropes. In the second scenario, partner A is left in a very dangerous situation where they cannot be unbound if there's an emergency or they just don't want to be tied up anymore. Here's another example. Partner C and partner D are into voyeurism or being watched while having sex. It's great if they go to a sex club or a swingers party party where boundaries are discussed. It's not great if they just drop trow in the middle of a busy public space and go at it. In this situation, the viewers are part of the kink, which means they also need to consent. Unsurprisingly, consent is often an important value for kinky people, even outside of sex. This is a value everyone would benefit from, regardless of whether or not they're into kink. How many times have people hugged or tried to hug me without asking because it doesn't occur to them to ask before touching my body? Well, I'll dive into shady characters into kink who don't center consent, like in Fifty Shades of Grey, I've found that kinky people do a good job centering my consent even when I have a totally non-sexual relationship with them. And now, a Mabel's Fast Fact with Abby. Because of the difference in pH, some sexual lubricants can affect sperm viability. While this is not to be used as a form of birth control, it's important to keep in mind for those who are trying to conceive. Learn more in our show notes or at MabelWadsworth.org. So far, I've talked about a couple of the more common kinks that come to mind for folks. BDSM, voyeurism, etc. 
It's important to remember that there's not only a lot of variation within specific kinks, but that kink itself can have very different themes. Within bondage, for example, someone might be into cuffs or suspension or shibari, a type of Japanese rope bondage where the ropes are tied in prettier ways, or any combo of those. One person might have a degradation kink, while another has a praise kink, or the same person might have both. Some people might ask, why do kinks exist? Personally, I think that's like asking why someone has a favorite food or a favorite smell. Different people like different things for a complex variety of reasons. It's good to analyze why you like something, but there won't always be concrete answers. Additionally, there are some interesting myths about why people are kinky that you'll come across on the internet. One, which started as an article on a satire news site, but then people thought it was real, is that kinks are supposedly inherited. Again, this is a myth. There's no research of any kind that shows people inherit kinks from their parents, but you'll see this fake fact mentioned all over Twitter because apparently a lot of us forgot about checking our sources for information. I do think it's good to analyze why someone has the kinks, fetishes, or attractions they have, and this doesn't have to be from a place of judgment or kink shaming. Are you really into witchy goth women because you watched Scooby-Doo and the Hex Girls as a kid? Great. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you aren't creepy towards goths. Are you a white guy who fetishizes East Asian women because you see them as inherently submissive and not as full people, but essentially living dolls that you can do sex on? Yikes. That's a problem. Maybe you're someone who has experienced trauma related to your kink, and the way you engage with your kink gives you agency and makes you feel empowered. Right on. Does he call himself a dom because he cares about meeting the needs and wants of his submissive partner? Or is it because he gets off on the patriarchal domination of women and he doesn't care about consent or aftercare? Example, Fifty Shades of Grey. There are some things around people's sexual interests that may have a more concrete root, however. While there's still a lot of uncertainty and controversy around this theory, some researchers think that the prevalence of foot fetishes or sexual attraction to or involving feet is essentially a bit of crossed wires in the brain. The idea is that in the brain's map of the body, feet and genitals are next to each other. For people who feel sexual attraction, it makes sense for genitals to be part of that, what with them being sex organs. Cross a couple wires, and maybe that's why foot fetishes are so prevalent. Like I said, there's still a lot of controversy and uncertainty around this theory, and even if there is truth to it, there can be other influencing factors, but it's certainly interesting to say the least. Let's take a quick break for another Mabel's Fast Fact with Abby. If someone living with HIV has an undetectable viral load, that means they cannot transmit HIV to another sexual partner. 
Learn more at MabelWadsworth.org or in our show notes. Like I mentioned, it's good to think about why someone has the kinks they have. Within that, it's important to remember that there are unsafe people into kink, just like there are unsafe people who aren't into kink. A lot of the things to look out for when it comes to kinky people apply just as much to non-kinky people. Someone who steamrolls your boundaries is always an issue, whether they're a sexual partner or not. If you're engaging with kink communities, like going to sex parties, you should see what their vetting process is like to assure everyone's safety. Here are some red flags to look out for with potential kinky partners. Are they experienced in kink or claim to be, but deliberately only go for people who are inexperienced? Are they engaging in their kink without previous discussion or setting of boundaries? This could be through pictures, role play, or even during a physical encounter. Are they engaging in their kink after you set a boundary and communicated you didn't want to? Do they try to convince you to do something you've said no to? Do they try to leverage your kink to get you to agree to things? For example, saying something like, if you were really into rope stuff, you'd want to do this. Or you're submissive, you should want to do anything I tell you. The last example brings up an interesting point often discussed in kink communities. When it comes to dom-sub relationships, regardless of the genders of those involved, many see the sub as having ultimate control, as the ways they're dominated are focused on their pleasure, plus safe words that bring a pause or end to the play. Whether or not you agree that subs and dom-sub relationships have the most control, it is definitely true that their voice, desires, and consent matter. Wanting to be told what to do doesn't remove someone's agency. While this was only a surface-level glimpse into the world of kink, I hope you all had as much fun as I did. You deserve pleasure in your life, and for some folks, this is an avenue for that. If you are interested in exploring kink, make sure to do your research and play safely. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Reproductive Left, and I can't wait to see you again next month.